Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Manx Theatre Podcast with me, Neil King. And me, Neil Callan. Thank you to everyone who's listened to our previous episodes. If you're new to the podcast, then welcome along and thanks for joining us. You can still listen to all of our previous episodes through our accounts on Facebook and Instagram, as well as through Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and manxradio.com forward slash podcasts. Coming up on this week's podcast, I speak to director Alex Brindley and lead actor Howard Kane from The Service Players about their upcoming production of Blackadder III's Christmas Carol. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, how was the chat with, uh, with Howard and Alex then? It was really good. Yeah. It, was re- it was really interesting. Quite, quite a, lot of, a lot of fun with, with, with the pair of them. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was a really good chat. But, um, you know, it's, it's been a few weeks since we've been here, isn't it? Yes, it has. It does seem like a long time, doesn't yeah. it? We've had a busy few weeks between the pair of us I mean, with Theatre Fest and uh, the Adams Family, the musical. Yeah, yeah. So from Theatre Fest then, um, we, we, well, obviously you were there the first night. Yes. I went to both nights. Congratulations as well on your on your uh, performance. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> How was it for you? It was really good, actually. I mean, there's, we had a very short sort of rehearsal period running into it, and I think we talked about this a little bit on one of the last podcasts. And within the play that Mike had written for us, there were so many different different layers, and it wasn't until sort of mid performance, actually, I'm backstage listening to other bits of the of the dialogue going on. And I suddenly, part of the story just suddenly clicked because she talks about the the fact that um, the doctor had scratches on it, on his hand. Yes. And it wasn't until you know, the actual performance itself, I realised actually that came from the later part of the play yeah. where she was sat holding his hand and scratching because the, the whole loop, the whole yeah. wibbly wibbly timey wiry and the loop going <laughs> round again, that actually the scratches on the hand from the fact that she scratched him late. It's, yeah, mm. so it's like, it just suddenly went, oh, yeah. that was it? <laughs> it was like the loudest of coin clunking yeah. drops. Yeah. <laughs> No, but it was great. I really enjoyed it. And um, then John Young's piece as well. Oh, the device piece afterwards. Oh. I really enjoyed that as well. It oh, was really it was good. fantastic. Such a powerful piece. And to mm. think that they came up with that in all of about five days was yeah. just phenomenal. And a lot of a lot of the uh, cast weren't really experienced performers either, were they? Rather young people or people that hadn't really been in much at all. So Yeah, I mean, some people there coming in for the very first time and, and some people with the, the seasoned yeah. pros, so to speak. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's some, some very powerful pieces really in there. Really powerful, yeah. The, there was one sort of speech there in the middle from a, a young lady called Grace, and she was yeah. just wow, just blew us away. I think I think Alex managed to uh, capture that on on video, didn't yes, he? And yes, uh, he has, separated yeah. that out. So I mean, yeah. that's that's well worth a watch, I think. Yeah, and the day after was the uh, MS for Manx Cat, which I really enjoyed. As yes, well. that was yeah. great. Some 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 great dancing there from mm-hmm. uh, Lois Mooney and uh, Isaac Murtar. Yeah, um, it was really good. Yeah, it was great. It was a great little, little sort of uh, thing that, that that Chrissy and uh, and Lisa had, had put together there. And then, of course, after that, then was was the the, pre- the world world premiere, I believe, yeah. of uh, the mechanic, the musical about um, about the TT. Yeah, I was really impressed with that as well. It was really good. Yeah, and um, yeah, good performances from the cast. I mean, that that cast was always going to be good anyway, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah. And then you then, Neil, then with with the Adams family, how did that go for you? Yeah, it went really well, thank you, yeah. Um, it sold really well. Um, real big success for Centre Stage Productions. Yeah, the it? ticket sales yeah. were, were brilliant, weren't they? Fantastic, um, yeah. As as the Isle of Man is, it was, all came... Well, mind you, it sold all the way through quite well, but then there was a big rush at the end, like there always is for oh, yeah. the show, as soon as word of mouth gets around. Um, but yeah, was, I'm, I was really proud of it. Yeah, audience reaction was great. The use of the um, screen, I thought, was brilliant as mm. well. I was really that was a gamble, yeah, because it was so intricate in the set, wasn't it? Yeah, um, but I think it really worked. Really pleased with it. How did the uh, the fancy dress nights go? Was there was there many people turning up? 
Yes. Yeah, we had a, we had a lot of Wednesdays, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people, a lot of people dressed up. A few Pugsleys. Yes. A few Festers. Pugsleys, yeah, and then after the after show party, I dressed as Pugsley. Yes. We, we so... swapped characters, so uh, yeah. I saw the pictures great. today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a man child, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're speaking to Alex and Howard today about Blackadder. Um, you a fan? Blackadder. Oh, a lifelong fan. I yeah. mean, I've, I'm the youngest of four anyway. So my my brother's five years older than me. My two sisters are, are eight and ten years older than me, and they were they were massive fans of of good old Slackbladder. Yeah. So yeah, that was it was always on in the house. So my, my sisters had all the videos, and they were always being watched. And yeah. then I mean, these days you can't get past gold without seeing an episode no. of Blackadder somewhere, can you? I still watch them though when they're on. Yeah. They're still good. They really stand up, don't they? Really yeah. Good. And Blackadder the Third is is probably probably one of my favourites yes. as well. I love all yeah. the Prince Regent ones. Yes. The the, the, the Although said that saying that, you know, Blackadder the Second with with Queenie, they're they're very good as well. And Blackhead of the Fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely uh, there's definitely great things in each. Uh, episode, the original one, not so much. No, no. but uh, two, three, and four definitely. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. So yeah, Hugh Laurie as Prince George was fantastic. Wasn't oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, without further ado, let's dim the house lights and have a listen to Neil Callan's chat with Alex and Howard. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by two seasoned radio broadcasters who are both well-known figures on the Manx theatre scene. Uh, for the Service Players production of Blackadder the Third's Christmas Carol, I'd like to welcome director Alex Brindley and lead actor Howard Kane. Chaps, welcome to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Thanks very much, Neil. So, Alex, uh, Blackadder the Third's Christmas Carol, it's not a straight sort of screen-to-stage <laughs> adaptation, is it? A um, bit more of a sort of a, a mashup of bits and pieces. How has it come about? What can you tell us about it? Well, um, obviously, over recent years, we've done a lot of these TV comedy uh, the Gaiety. We started the the first one. We started was Blackadder back and forth. It seems quite a long time ago now, actually, doesn't it? Really, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I don't know. We we are getting shorter um, on choices. You know, there, there are fewer choices out there. Um, we've done Blackadder goes forth. We've done Blackadder um, the second, which is the famous one with Queen Elizabeth. You know, Queenie. Yeah. And um, and in between, we've done things like a lower low, faulty towers, Vicar of Dibley, Dad's Army, Yes, Prime Minister, but we've never done Blackadder the third and. I I looked through what remaining Blackadders there were, and we we do kind of gravitate towards Blackadder a lot because we we, we like the humour, the Ben Elton and Richard Curtis humour. I was looking at trying to do Blackadder the Third, which was Hugh Laurie playing the the Prince Regent. Yes. And then I was going to look at maybe doing a mashup with Blackadder's Christmas Carol, which was the Christmas special, and Blackadder Back and Forth, which was the movie version that they did for the Millennium Dome. Yeah. We we got the script together and we looked at the back and forth one, which is very, very funny in places, but it's written to be done as a movie. And I just couldn't make it work on stage when looking through the script because it would have to have Howard on one side of the stage talking to himself on the other side of the stage and things like this. And I just I couldn't work out how we were going to do it without filming loads of it and then working out that really people aren't coming to see you know, a film, they're coming to see a live stage show. So we decided to um, mash up a couple of episodes with um, the Blackadder the Third, and then I still wanted to put on the Christmas Carol, and we worked out, we just about managed to be able to stage that, because there are some moments in there where you've got some very swift costume changes, haven't you? It'll be interesting, it will be interesting, <laughs> and, and I think this is something you don't really realise until you do the adaptations on the stage, which Alex is so good at, you watch it on screen and you, you, know, you, just, you watch it flow along, you don't really think about it. These obviously are being then transferred onto the stage, and I think it's true that 
when we started out with the first one, that was actually, it almost lent itself really, really comfortably to, to its adaptation to the stage because uh, the first one we did, which was the last one in the series, I think we're working backwards somehow or other, but the Black Adder <laughs> goes forth. That was terrific in many ways because it was all, in essence, either in Melchett's office or yeah. the dugout. Mm. And, and they were really the two, there were a few bits here and there, but that was pretty much the only two scenes. 90% of the action took place there. Also, a lot of the dialogue was relatively equally sort of divided up. It wasn't just Blackadder, it wasn't just Blackadder and Baldrick. It was actually divided up quite a bit. And you don't really realise until you come to the other ones sometimes that it changes on some of those. And some of the later ones, and this one to a degree, as you say, has will necessitate sort of quick changes and you're going to have to cut your cloth because you can't suddenly dive to a completely different scene on stage the same way you can in TV. Yeah, I mean, certainly some of the sort of the older uh, sitcoms, I mean, like a lot of the ones that you've done with Alolo and things like that, you know, they, they, they have one or maybe two sort of locations that all the action takes part in. Dinner Ladies is the same. It takes part in the kitchen and the canteen and that's it. One big set and you can split the stage down between those two sets. And... A lot of other things, probably more more modern stuff, is set between lots of different locations. So it's it's very difficult then, I guess, to to recreate those on the stage because you have to have the ability to edit between the scenes. I mean, the the reason that they all do lend themselves to a degree to stage adaptation, and this is why the Black Adder back and forth film didn't really work, is that um, of the comedies of this era were filmed in front of a live audience. Course, so yes. there is that element that they were effectively a, a type of stage performance. Yeah, and it's like a TV um, play, really. It right? is. It is a TV play, and uh, I mean, they are they're very difficult to to put on um, because I've had arguments. Um, or shall we say, um, pleasant debates with oh. people as to whether you know um, doing TV comedy is is a cop out or an easy um, way of you know sort of putting something on stage where you haven't got to do the grind of getting yourself through an Akeborn or an Agatha Christie or something like this. And actually, I would argue that they are more difficult because. The positive side is that there's a lot of your, your marketing's been done for you because people know these plays. There's know. a built-in audience there already, exactly. yeah. Exactly, there's a built-in audience. And it's it's also been quite eye-opening for us to see which ones are more popular that we thought would be more popular and, and aren't. That's been they? interesting. That's mm. been interesting, yeah. It, it's, you wouldn't... I think I'm right in saying that one of the best has been Dad's Army so far. Yeah, Dad's Army so far and quite followed um, closer behind by a lower low. Yeah. Now, whether that says anything about the average age of the of the gaiety audience <laughs> or, maze, or not, I don't know, but uh, it's amazing. It's it's not the way I thought it would have been. The, the only answer I kind of put that down to is that um, the top two in terms of bums on seats are the ones that for years were a staple part of BBC Saturday Night viewing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you got to Saturday night and you knew at that point there was going to be Dad's Army or a lower low. You know, if I can do Noel's House Party, the, the comedy, I'm sure I'll put that on as well. <laughs> um, but the other side of it, as we we're saying, is that... <laughs> The negative side for for us, or one of the pressures, is there's a high expectation from the audience. Yes. Um, that if Howard gets one of his lines wrong, no, no pressure, H. No pressure. Uh, um, no. That actually, I was a big fan of these shows, and I'm sitting there without a script in front of me, knowing what the next word is because yeah. I've, I've seen them so. The audience already know what the jokes yeah. are before you deliver them. Yeah. And they, you're not being a caricature um, of these people. You're trying to um, embody that character. Yes. Without actually sending it up and that is really quite difficult to do and that ensuring that you get that timing that look and you embody the character not the well-known actor who played that character is exactly. very very difficult i mean that's something that you've done howard quite quite a few times in in, in these ones i mean there's there was manuel and uh, one of my personal favorites was uh, inspector crabtree yeah yeah and you know it was i had a revelation that night watching watching the the, the show at the gaiety there you know i've watched a lower low for, for years and years and years 
But it wasn't until watching it that night that, I, that the coin very suddenly and very heavily dropped that I realised that what I'm experiencing is everyone talking in French and there's Crabtree doing the worst French possible. <laughs> and that's why he sounds so bad. I thought, why, why has it taken 25 years for me to understand that that is what's going on? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, it how, how that works and just seeing an adaptation and getting people seeing different people doing it and, and it's great if people sometimes say afterwards say oh you know if they've come to see the play or they've come to see some of the plays we've done in the past and yes you go in and that's the curious thing that you know the audience are going in with expectations because the chances are 80 90 maybe 100 percent of them will have seen all of them yeah some of them will be massive fans they go in with with a sort of i don't know quite what expectations they've got uh, you, you don't really know and there's that curious thing which again is funny about laughter is that sort of old jokes again the chances are as alex was saying the vast bulk of the audience know the lines yeah. know the jokes know the comedy and then you start thinking so are they going to laugh because they might have seen this a thousand times before <laughs> yeah. how is it going to be funny and yet bizarrely when you perform it again live people still laugh they, they know what's coming they know the joke they know the gag they know the pratfalls whatever the case might be and yet people still laughing and belly laughs sometimes you yeah. think that's just a very strange sort of thing of uh, human nature i guess on the plus side from an acting point of view i guess is if by some uh, horror you do completely dry the chances are someone from the audience <laughs> will shout the line out <laughs> no need for a prompt then <laughs> definitely not um, the the bizarre thing is though is the types of comedy we put on if i if i look back when it's come to the choices of scripts that we've used and it did start because i wanted to do blackadder goes forth and interestingly enough none of the other scripts have ever really had the poignancy that that one had at the mm. end and you could feel it over the whole third act that whilst the jokes were funny there is this impending feeling of doom as you get towards the end and that wasn't even directed or anything else you just felt it yeah and um, it came quite yeah. naturally but the, the scripts generally seem to be either um, Ben Elton, Richard Curtis, mm -hmm. or Perry and Croft. Nice. Main, mainly David Croft, because I know he wrote um, A Low, A Low with Jeremy Lloyd. But that seems to be an era of BBC comedy that um, finished with, um, for the Perry Croft with Oh, Dr. Beeching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd love to get a steam train straight through the gaiety. I'm sure that'd be great fun. Um, but, <laughs> I'd be um, the paperwork for that. Exactly, yeah. Um, there's still your Rangma Lord. I do fancy your Rangma Lord. It wasn't as big a hit, that. That was more of a comedy drama, but I did enjoy it. It's a bit more of an upstairs, downstairs, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah but um, I, I just want to try Mrs. Lipton's cherry cake. And um, when the, the Vicar of Dibley ended, really... That was sort of the end of that era of comedy because if you look now at TV, the, that kind of comedy isn't there. No, and I do think that's one of the reasons why um, these these shows have been popular because you know everyone always loves nostalgia, but it also is that comforting feeling that actually when you turn on the TV nowadays, it's it's not there. Yeah, mm. and I guess as well with with those those comedies, there's there's probably sort of a a very narrow gap really of of things that you can still do. Like I said, the more modern stuff, it doesn't really lend itself to that, but if you go too far back, you kind of get to the realms of things like It Ain't Half Hot Mom, which oh, would yes. be great to do, but you just couldn't because it just it just wouldn't no, work with a, wouldn't a modern audience. In, yeah. in the modern audience would I'm, it, I'm pretty no. sure that if you put that on, you wouldn't need to advertise it. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure it'd get notoriety pretty yeah. quick. I often ponder yeah. whether things like uh, the Royal... I mean, could you do the Royal Family on stage? And I don't know. I loved it. Mm. I've actually, all those scripts are available. In fact, I've got all the scripts for the Royal Family. They were published as, as scripts. I think you still have to get rights, obviously, to do it. But it was, again, and you sometimes noticed it, and I think when we were doing Dad's Army, you noticed it in some of these things. And again, this is the difference between your stage acting and your film acting or TV acting. These 
for example, in Dad's Army, you'd have some scenes or the end of some scenes where the humour would occasionally be in the look on Mannering's face or the look on Wilson's face. Yeah. It'd be a raised eyebrow. It'd be those fantastic looks that Arthur Lowe would do sometimes. You can't do that on stage in the same way because yeah. it'd be a close-up, a zoom-in mm. on his face, his eyes. It, you know, you're not going to do that on stage, obviously. And you can sort of adapt it a little bit, but it's, it is that curious sort of change. And the same to a degree in something like The Royal Family. It's quite sort of subtle. Certainly the earlier ones were. And it'd be the looks on, on the Ricky Tomlinson's face yeah. or some of these sort of just body, body language, raised eyebrows. Some of these things really added to the humour. Now, whether you could get that subtlety on stage when in actual fact an awful lot of the time it's just four or five people sitting in armchairs, slobbing and smoking, I don't know. And maybe that's not something for the for the gaiety stage. Maybe that's something more suited a small to, arena, maybe. Yeah, yeah. At the Aeronaut Centre, exactly. Or King's Court. Exactly. Or... The the interesting thing that you know H raises there is that the if we look at all the different shows, all the Black Adders, we have adapted the TV scripts. A low, a low was written for stage. It was you know a stage production. Dad's Army was a stage production. Um, Vicar of Dibley, um, we adapted the scripts. And uh, Faulty Towers, we adapted the script. I mean, there, Faulty Towers is one that, you know, there was a very infamous scene where you had to sort of update it for political correctness for obvious reasons. Um, but um, it's interesting when directing it that the ones that were written for stage worked better, the humour works better for, you know, a broadcasting out to an audience. Yeah. You know, you if you had like a um, a conical sphere from where the actor stands on stage, you're broadcasting out. Everything has to be bigger in theatre. Of course. Whereas for TV, you're 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 almost narrow casting. You're um, doing small um, gestures that make the comedy. And it's very difficult for the ones that have been a direct lift from a TV script to make the same things funny. Because when you think, how? Wait a minute. I, don't know how that works. So you refer to the source material and you look and you go, ah, that's because the camera made that funny. Yes. Or that mm-hmm. happened off camera and then it's cut to a wide and you can see it. And yeah, I was going to ask you that, that about how, how you prepare for that. Do you go have to go back to the source material or do you work with what, what you've got? Or I don't know about you, H. I, I choose the, the script when people ask me, you know, what do I fancy doing? I choose it based on my memory of the source material and I've always unashamedly picked scripts that I have watched over and over again over the years yeah. as, as a fan. But I make a conscious decision that once I start directing the show, I don't actually go and watch them again. Yeah. Um, and bizarrely enough, it, it it's destroying my social life and um, um, my personal enjoyment of these because I don't... Once I've seen them on stage, I don't want to go back and watch them on TV because my memory of the stage show, I actually preferred seeing it live. Yeah, I, I had that same kind of conversation with Matthew James not that long ago because we, when we were talking about Singing in the Rain, we sort of said, well, how do you make that sort of the comparisons with the with the original film? And he said he couldn't watch the film anymore because you know, he preferred that the version that they did for the, mm. for the stage. So it's, it's interesting that way that it has that effect. When it comes to the the way that we stage it, that you do really have to try and start. You 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 start with my your memory of the source material, and then I just I I leave it behind, and then do my best to sit there with a the script, watching the the cast and say actually, you know that look needs to be a bit funnier there. That you need an extra second of timing there. Yeah. Um, trying to get Howard at the moment. I'll tell you now. Here's the behind the scenes secret that. Um, uh, there are certain couple of scenes where you have to look the Prince Regent in the eye, and he has not managed to maintain oh, no. that eye contact yet. That's not easy, no. I think I think it's the one of trying to get it all out, all the sort of laughters and giggles and such like. Cause you only you know you only have to look at a fellow actor or actress, and they just have to sort of you know cock an eye or look at you, and you know it's like if you start corpsing, you you're gone. It's and deadly. is that Tom Kane you're up against?
against yeah, as well. Well, yeah. it says it all, really, yes. doesn't it? But, but I'll tell you an interesting thing as well, just saying about the, the sort of staging and doing uh, stuff in that. I still think, harking back to the uh, first one we did, Blackadder Goes Forth, and how you do that ending, and that was, it's it still, for me, it's still one of the, the, the best moments I've ever had on the Gaiety stage from a purely personal point of view, was the end, that fantastic, poignant ending at the end of the Blackadder Goes Forth, where you've had all that chaos and slug bouncing silliness and the usual uh, mayhem going on. And then they go to go over the top and they're lining up there and Baldrick says, I've got a cunning plan, sir. And he says, oh, well, no time now. I'm afraid to blow the whistle. Whatever it was, it's, it was better than my idea of pretending to be a madman. You know, who who wants another madman around here? <laughs> and then they go over the ladders and then, of course, they're, they're, they're mown down in the machine gun fire. And it was just beautifully staged, I think, at the end of the day. We had we had some pyros, mm. we had a uh, strobe going, and we sort of came up over these these sacks we had on stage, went for the pyros went off, the strobe came on, it sort of went into sort of a semi-slow motion, lots of noise and chaos. We sort of collapsed down as they were mown down. There was sort of smoke there, and then in the sound, so you've got that heartbeat drum coming on, mm. on, the, on the sound, and then we had the poppy petals coming down from, from, the, uh, from the rafters. And I, I could hear people sobbing in the audience. It was, and it, it was, a, it was a very powerful... You know, it, it had that sort of, yeah. whatever, an hour and a half of laughter and chaos and just silliness and whatever. And then you suddenly, yeah, it's it, it's that marvellous sort of poignancy and that sudden swap to really play with the senses. And and partly because you, you think, you know, it must have been really like that. that mm. They must have been, there, there definitely would have been real gallows black humour there without a doubt. And you can imagine people coming out of those lines, going up there and knowing that they were within seconds of the end of their lives. Yeah, it, it was something that when we hark back to how that felt. And it, I, I distinctly remember on the, the first night, because you got shivers um, when that actually happened and the poppies came down. And as you say, you can hear the audience's reactions. But it felt like an eternity before they, they clapped, because, of course, that's the end of yeah. the show. And they have been laughing and rolling in the aisles all the way through. And then it just seemed to go quiet, wasn't it? It's yeah, almost. Was a big... It was an ambivalent feeling, yeah, because you're not sure, have we, have we messed this up, have we offended yeah. them, or, do, or are they, and no, the response was that they were really that moved. One of the big things I've always tried to do with every one of these is, it, it's a mixture of inspirations that come together, really. Um, I, obviously, as you know, Neil, I'm a big theme park anorak, mm-hmm. and I, um, I'm big on my immersive environments that um, you should try and create an environment that people feel they are within a story. Um, you know, a, a great example for me, just a little bee in my bonnet, that when you go to Harry Potter land in Orlando, you can actually see the gates of Jurassic Park. That breaks the immersion for me. You should be within a story once you enter some kind of immersive environment. And I was greatly inspired by Victoria Wood because, um, and this is a play I'd love to do, but I don't think we'll ever get the rights, is Acorn Antiques the Musical. Um, a group of us went down to London and saw it two nights on the trot um, so much so that Julie Walters actually waved to us on the second night as we were still in the front row <laughs> And um, but the moment you entered the theatre the cast were on stage mm-hmm. the cast were actually the, the show started the moment you entered the auditorium because the cast were either interacting with the audience in character because you were a part of the story and I feel that's that's very important we've done that with every one of these TV comedies that you don't wait for the curtain to go up or you don't just have an empty set. Mm. There are people in character that are either in the auditorium or on stage going about something that ties in with the show. The uh, The announcements should be from the characters yes. because you, the audience, are taking part. And that will happen um, quite quite a lot, actually, not only just before and after, but during 
um, Blackadder Third's Christmas Carol. So Howard, then this is your third time then back in the the codpiece of Blackadder. Mm. Um, has it has it been any easier this time round, or is it with no. it being a slightly different sort of era? Is it different? Yeah, I think it is different. Although I mean, the character he, he does evolve a bit, but he. I suppose the one big difference in this one, of course, is in the Christmas Carol. You have you have the the reversal, the role reversal, because of yes. course they play it back to front. So he starts off as the lovely guy who is Mister Lovely, and then of course it, it flips backwards. So you do have that sort of role reversal. And I suppose it's the only time, realistically, that you ever see the Blackadder character th- throughout, albeit this is a one-off, actually being Mister Super Nice instead of being the the sort of sneery, smarmy, you know. Uh, character that he normally plays who's who's out to get what he can get and you know and devil may care so from that point of view i guess he is there is a a difference from that perspective otherwise i guess he is he is much the same within always you know out out for what he can get and obviously you've always got that reaction between him and uh him and baldrick all the time Hmm. Uh, yeah baldrick's always at the end of the joke and usually the end of the fist or boot as the case may be Clearly the butt of every joke, isn't he? <laughs> you, you do get, a, without giving away too many secrets, um, though, um, when we're talking about cod pieces, um, both you and Baldrick get a, a new one for this one. Yeah, I was slightly worried about that. You know, you yeah. get to a certain age and you think, is it wise? Is it wise to actually still be getting your kit off? And you think, probably, probably not. <laughs> it, it'll be a treat for the front row, that's all I'm going to say. A treat in inverted commas. <laughs> so especially not if you want to sell tickets anyway. So. <laughs> I've, I've had a look, they've sold the front row anyway, they can't get out now. So uh, to- talking of Baldrick, remember, We've got Carl Bovenizer back again as, mm-hmm. as Baldrick. Um, who else is in the cast? Who else can we expect to see? Well, this is it. There's some there's some new faces as well because I I know with these comedies that um, you know I've I've worked with Howard pretty much on every one of these um, TV comedies. There's a, there is a there is a core group that do keep coming back um, for for the roles, but um, I I've always been incredibly pleased that the actors we've got really are you know round pegs in round holes um, that the when we sit there and do auditioning and I don't like to do traditional auditioning I like just to have read-throughs and then I sit and close my eyes and, and hear who I think feels my, my mental image of the, the character. So um, we've got some great new people involved. The, the returning faces, as you say, Carl Bovenizer. I mean, I'm not sure if it's a compliment for Carl that he just perfectly fits Baldrick, but yeah. he is... It's not so much <laughs> no. method acting as typecast. <laughs> yes, I, I remember when we did Blackadder Goes Forth afterwards through work I had to interview Tony Robinson and I'd mentioned to him um, off air after the interview was over that I'd just produced Blackadder Goes Forth and he said oh and who did Baldrick and I said well this guy called Carl Bovenizer and I sent him a photograph um, and he sent a, a message back saying actually um, he looked like really looked the part so yeah. they, you know I think it's a badge of honour for Carl isn't <laughs> looked it? more like Baldrick than he did <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> um, but we've also got um, How's Brother Chris he's returning as Melchit there's a lot of doubling up in the characters so he's Melchit he is Sir Talbot Buxley um, briefly, um, he's also uh, Doctor Johnson, um, who is the man, of course, who writes the English Dictionary. You've also mentioned Tom Kane there. Now, Tom plays the Prince Regent, Prince George. He has played the overly, you know, larger than life, dimwit character um, throughout the series because in the second one it was actually Lord Percy, yes, played by Tim McInerney. And then when Tim didn't return for the series three, they gave the part to Hugh Laurie. And then, of course, in Blackadder goes forth. There was Darling and and George. Uh, and yes. George. So um, Tom has done this character um, before, but this is the one that really the prince gets to shine. You know, it's his it's his big um, big role. And um, when it comes to other characters, um, Mrs. Miggins is there. Jenny Quirk plays Mrs. Miggins, <laughs> the lady who spell uh, sells the um, 
Um, huge, suspicious-looking sausages. Indeed. And um, there are a number of different poets in there, but the, the characters really come out when we go to the Christmas Carol because there is Queen Victoria and um, Prince Albert, and um, that's uh, Liz Parks and Mark Tiley are playing those characters. Uh-huh. Um, some brilliant accents there. I've um, I've been a bit cruel with the the Christmas spirit because when we did the last Blackadder, um, there was a torturer, and it was a male torturer role, a Spanish male torturer, and I gave it to uh, Rachel Jochen, um, and I said, I know it says it's a, it's meant to be a bloke, but actually you'll do this really well, and she does. She's got brilliant stage presence, so. Rachel is comparatively diminutive, isn't she? Mm. So I've given her the Robbie Coltrane character, Christmas spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, when she walks on stage, she just lights it up. She's brilliant. Um, and um, she is the, the, the ghost of Christmas, past, present and future mm. all rolled into one. She's working on her beard. <laughs> Excellent. You said that, not me. <laughs> and um, then, of course, there's the returning characters. Beth Espy is returning as Queenie uh-huh. because we do jump back and forth between time. Um, Sharon Mitchell is there as as Nursey. And then we go to the future where it's the same Melchers, Queenie, Nursey characters all in the future. And the dialogue for that scene is just oh, is a joy. Um, there are very few real words in there. I just get the impression that they just leant on the keyboard and said, oh, that looks all right. Um, so... Uh, that that is a real joy, but there are other um, people who are. Um, I mean, Faye as Millicent, your goddaughter. You can hear the cackle from outside the gaiety. <laughs> um, that and we've got Rob Pritchard, who's playing a variety of different roles. But Ralph, Faye, um, uh, Millicent's um, boyfriend, is is one where you turn the campometer up to you know 125 <laughs> um, for that. It, and and then Darren. Um, who plays the Beadle? He plays Nelson. Um, he's he's a very larger than life character, and he's the one that only appeals in small parts. But whenever he appears, there is a punchline coming. Excellent. Right. Well, um, you've got what? It's about two weeks to go then before you before you open. Yeah, something like that. Don't yeah. don't rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I, I wish you all the best of luck with your your final rehearsals over the next couple of weeks. And Thank um, thanks for joining us today on the Max Theatre Podcast. Thank, Thank you, you, Neil. Well, thank you to Alex Brindley and Howard Kane for having a chat with Neil about the upcoming show Blackadder. That's on from the 7th to the 9th of November at the Gaiety Theatre. We've had a while, uh, a little break, but we've got quite a few interviews in the can, haven't we? Yeah, we've been we've been quite busy. You know, we've we've managed to squeeze a few interviews here and there, and you know, we've had some from slightly earlier in the year that we haven't had an opportunity to use just yet. But we've got them coming up in in quick succession. That's right. So tell us who's uh, coming up. Yeah. So in the next episode, um, I speak to Jack Divers, um, and we talk about his career in theatre so far, um, both on stage and off stage, because he. Um, plays instruments in the pit as well as on stage so it's a little nice interesting conversation there about how he decides between on stage and off stage so we talk about what he's done so far but also we managed to talk a little bit about the upcoming play version of Blood Brothers which is on in November after that also on a similar theme with Blood Brothers earlier in the summer I caught up with Stephen Palfman uh, Manx-born actor um, who's living and working in London and has spent probably somewhere in the region of about 25 years in Blood Brothers. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's a fantastic listen. It's, it's, it's a great interview to talk about all the things that he's done through Blood Brothers over the years and all the people that he's worked with as yeah, well because wow. there's a lot of famous people that have come and gone through yeah, that definitely. time. And then also we've got another podcast with um, local actor Damien Neal mm-hmm. who um, 
will be well known from a lot of Taylorian shows over over recent years and and DCU and, and some Max Operatic Society mm-hmm. as well. That he's been away and he's trained at the London School of Musical Theatre, and he's now setting off in his professional career in the new UK tour of Les Misérables. Fantastic! What a great time to interview him as well. Oh, it's yes, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and at the point where I was I was speaking to him, we talked about Les Mis, but he still hadn't signed his contract at that point. Right, There's yeah. only a few people knew about it so, yeah 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 so it's, it's nice to listen to that now obviously yeah he, the contract is signed now so he can talk about yeah. it and uh, yeah he's in rehearsals and, and get, getting ready to go so exciting he's a good friend of ours isn't he so yes. it's, it's lovely to see him doing so well and you get the contrast of someone starting out the career and then you've got Stephen who's been in that uh, that show for a long time it's a yes. nice contrast yes yeah. okay well listen out for those episodes coming up shortly uh, but for now we're going to bring this episode of the Manx Theatre podcast to the end Remember to like and follow our Facebook and Instagram pages to get notifications of upcoming episodes and events. If you have any questions about the podcast or any suggestions for future episodes, you can contact us through our social media accounts or by email to manxfeatapodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in local musicians and artists, check out our sister podcast, Supergroup, where Neil King talks to Manx songwriters and musicians as they set up their fantasy supergroup. Special thanks goes to our tech wizard and producer, Alex Mazotta, who edits all of our interviews and puts the episodes together. All that remains for us to say thanks for listening, and we hope to join us again next time on the Manx Theatre Podcast. I've been Neil Callan. I've been Neil King. Thank you very much. Oh, an actress in life. Oh, 